One-size-fits-all training and development doesn't work when it comes to DEI. We each come from different backgrounds, have different experiences, and hold various identities that impact the way we connect to, relate to, and advance DEI work. I'm Rory geller Mohammed, a DEI practitioner and licensed therapist, and I help leaders build human-centered, inclusive, and impactful organizations and companies. I created the DEI Lab podcast to help you build your DEI leadership and move DEI work forward in your organization or company. On this podcast, we expand DEI to make space for more nuanced conversations by using DEI Lab, diversity, equity, inclusion, liberation, anti-racism, belonging, and being as in well-being. As you will likely hear me talk a lot about identity on this podcast, I think it's important to share some of the identities that I carry and bring to this work as the host. I'm a white Ashkenazi Jewish woman raised in a multiracial family. I'm married to a Muslim man of color, and I'm a mom to two young multi-identity kids. As you listen, I encourage you to think about how your identities might impact the way you connect to each episode. Leaders and change makers, let's get started. Are you part of a DEI committee or a leader at a company or organization that has a DEI committee or anti-racism committee? Has the committee been feeling stuck or confused with next steps? Have you been frustrated with the slow pace of change? Or even maybe are you feeling overwhelmed just trying to balance your responsibilities of both being part of the committee and caring a lot about trying to do this work and creating change, but also trying to do your regular work and trying to find a good balance? then my free event next week is for you. I'm hosting a free lunch and learn on building and strengthening your DEI committee's impact. You're going to have the opportunity to ask questions and receive personalized advice and coaching if you want on your specific situation so you know how to apply this to your work in your organization. It's an opportunity to learn how to build and develop your DEI committee so that you can have the intended impact. It's happening next week on February 15th. And you can find, you can register and sign up. The link will be in the show notes. And if you have anyone that you know that might benefit that's on a committee, please share it with them. And I hope to see you there. As I shared in the last episode, I wanted to start sharing more context and just thoughts uh, with each episode and with interviews, with having guests on all, all that. So with the Guests that you're going to hear me talk with in a few moments, Dr. Sean Anderson, you're going to hear our conversation um, about, about sports, right? About the sports justice movement. Um, Dr. Anderson wrote the, ba- the Black Athlete Revolt, the sports justice movement in the age of Black Lives Matter, and does a lot with sports organizations to build social responsibility initiatives. Now, me coming to this context, I have to just sort of say, and I think I, I'll say in the episode as well, Sports is not something that I'm well-versed in (laughs) at all. So I I was thinking back, we recorded the episode about a month and a half ago, I think by now when I'm recording this. So it wasn't right at the same time that I'm recording this. And I've had some time to just take a step back and think about it a little bit and sort of think about our conversation. And I think there's a lot of important takeaways that you're going to hear, even if you're similar to me and maybe aren't really involved in sports or your work that you're doing really has nothing to do with sports. But I think even so, there's a lot that even if you're a completely different industry, there's going to be takeaways that you can use in your work, in your life that are going to be helpful when we think about what DI work means, what social responsibility means, and what it means navigating organizations and systems that 
are historically, um, right, having systems of racism, right, or historically having um, have been problematic for many reasons. So, I think there's there's a lot that that you're going to hear in the conversation. Um, and so, when I think of sort of just how I was coming to the conversation, sort of that I was thinking about is a lot of so my sports and sort of knowledge and I didn't around it really didn't happen even when I've learned was really even since I um, was with my husband. My husband is very into sports, super into baseball. And so a lot of the things that I've learned about sports have been through him or him watching games or things like that. And I was thinking about, you know, why was that? Why, how come that was that? And I wondered, you know, and thinking about it, reflecting on it, if there's an aspect, right, of like women in sports was not something, right, that was as common, right, back then and sort of growing up and, you know, women in sports in TV, like on TV, it just, and so I wonder if that, like not seeing representation, not kind of being socialized in that way, probably and likely had a lot to do with sort of my lack of, not just lack of interest, right, but just disconnection from it. Um, so I think there's something there. So I and I always invite you, I think, also to when you're when no matter what we're talking about on here, connect and reflect about like how does it connect to you? How does it connect to your identity? How does it connect to what's going on for you? Um, so when we talk about this, it also you know I was thinking back to the Colin Kaepernick documentary, and there was a lot. Um, I thought it was done really well and I, I really connected with a lot of pieces and I know it's because personally, right, growing up in a multiracial family where adoption, right, was part of it, um, it's something that really resonated. So a lot of those experiences where, right, his parents, and for those of you who saw it, right, his white parents were just having such different experiences than he was having growing up and just the way that played out in his life and the impact that has and the everyday things. So um, I just wanted to kind of kind of point that out too, right? Just there's so much navigating issues of race and culture. Um, and I think to me, I thought that documentary was done really well. And I know we talk about in this episode, you're going to hear kind of some more, some more things about like what's highlighted on athletes, like what's highlighted about athletes, right? Um, how are they navigating these organizations? What are the problematic pieces that are happening? And I think, right, as specifically even just calling out white people, right? So myself, right, as a white person, what does it mean for white people in those spaces? What are some of the issues, right, around race that we are seeing or not not aware of that may need to be shifted and changed and brought awareness to? So I think there's there's a lot there that maybe and are power dynamics that are happening. Um, so just a lot, a lot to think about and a lot to look into. Um, and even when we even having the conversation and just thinking about it, I think even about when we just think about like diversity, equity, inclusion, all of the things, DEI Lab, right in sports, what that is. I think even and I think I may mention this too in the episode I was recorded a while ago, but still coming up for me and still and I know it's always going to be things right like. The idea of even in Little League, in our local Little League, the way that the games were still scheduled on Jewish high holidays, right? And that that was something that, right, personally personally affected by. But even if I wasn't, there's how are we even addressing what DEI looks like at for, for kids, right? Helping them navigate these issues. So what they, when we are like, right, grownups navigating institutions, we know how to advocate, how to push back. 
how to have the conversations, how to recognize challenges, problematic things in the systems and the processes, all of that. So all that to say is you have an awesome episode coming up for you and I am excited for you to dive in, listen to it, reflect, take some time, think about some action steps that you can take away. All right. Enjoy. Welcome, welcome. I am so excited today to have Dr. Sean Anderson on the show with us. Dr. Anderson is an internationally recognized scholar in the areas of sport and activism, workplace diversity in sport, and community development through sport. He is the author of the forthcoming book, The Black Athletes Revolt, The Sport Justice Movement in the Age of Black Lives Matter. As a sought-after expert regarding sport and social issues, he has worked with recognized organizations such as MLB, PBS, ADL, Nike, ESPN, and lectured at several universities. He is also the founder of CSR Global Consulting, which helps sports organizations build social responsibility initiatives. Welcome, welcome. So happy to have you here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So you have done so many amazing things, and I know this is the short version of your bio. <laughs> I would love if you could just tell us some of like, tell us about you and the great work that you do. So yeah, so um, I, to give you a little bit of background, I, I um, am originally from Arkansas. And so if you know anything about the South, uh, sports are uh, king in, in particularly football. So I grew up in the rural South, uh, Pine Bluff, Arkansas specifically. Um, and there played sports all my life, played football all my life. Uh, thought I was gonna go pro, you know, uh, that, that whole dream. And I uh, had a knee injury and that was derailed, but I still had an interest in sports. And so um, went to undergrad uh, in my hometown of Pine Bluff, um, went into pursuing a master's degree. And then I fell in love with the research component of sports. So, so not just fandom, but how can we see sport as this platform for larger conversations about societal issues, right? And um, I, I saw sport then as this intersection with not only politics, but sports uh, as a religion, right? Uh, um, how we kind of worship sports on, on, on the weekends, uh, particularly football, but also sports as a way to bring together communities um, as best as it, as it can. And um, I... I began to see a lot of that work while pursuing my PhD um, at West Virginia University, um, kind of bringing those areas all together under this concept of corporate social responsibility in sport. And so um, since then, I have become a professor at Loyola Marymount University here in Los Angeles. Um, I will be wrapping up my seventh year at the end of May. And so um, I've been working with uh, sport organizations across the globe uh, with this work, and I'm, I'm excited to continue to do it. That's so awesome. And that's really exciting. So, th and thank you for sharing all of that. I know, yeah. so for me, just, I have a very, my, not really much sports background, but my husband is obsessed with sports. Yeah. And so that sport as religion is very relatable. <laughs> like before him, I did not have as much uh, sports knowledge. I feel like it's grown tremendously, right. still lacking, but <laughs> I feel like I very much that that part um, that you're doing. That, that's, thank you for sharing all of that. 
Mm -hmm. Um, and your switch around, like from playing to also research is super interesting. And I would love, um, for your, your title of your, your book, the black athlete revolt, the sport justice movement in the age of black lives matter. If you could tell us a little bit about your book and what is the sports justice movement? So, so this book focuses on, so the black athlete revolt focuses on the history of black athlete activism, you know, it's dormancy and it's revitalization under the Black Lives Matter movement. And so essentially that, that's the catalyst, right? So, so it provides this, this portraits of uh, notable individuals in the history of Black activism, as well as insights from athletes and allies who discuss you know, the future of athlete activism. Now, I say the, the Black Lives Matter movement as the catalyst because we've seen several movements. That Me Too, you know, Occupy Wall Street from 2008, uh, and the sport justice movement is essentially giving an official title to the fact that sport and politics are together. Yes. They will not go away. You know, as long as we have um, societal issues, um, sport will always have a part of that. And the sport justice movement is spawned from the Black Lives Matter movement and is ushering us forward into a new space. Yeah. No, I bet that's, that's awesome. And right, the piece of it that, right, sports and politics is not going to go away. And it was part of like, the, just the part that the humanity, right, the piece of like the past, right, because politics is really about our humanness, right? right? And what do we need as people to function in society, to feel safe, to do all of that. Um, and so I think that there's, there's so much connection there. And um, I know you talk about like a lot of the things in your book around, um, a lot that that's with that um how come you decided to write the book you know that's that's a great question you know as an academic you know i need, i need to write <laughs> about this this work right but um no it, it 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 i looked at the fact that you know we are approaching the 10-year anniversary uh, of this hashtag you know um yeah. that was formed after the george zimmerman acquittal you know and then we take a look at uh, how the Oval Office became involved with, with Trump and using Twitter, right, right, you know, and right, right. that became a, a, a bastion of conversation. And then the 2020 awakening of the athlete activist, uh, like never before, encouraged yeah. me to write the book. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so I think if we can dig into even some of the things that, right, like cause the need for this, cause like, of course, right, why this activism is so important, why it's so necessary. When we think of like the challenges, right, sport, the challenges happening in sports, workplace diversity related to sports and yeah. what people are, players are experiencing versus what the organizations are wanting or saying or regulating. Right. What, what, what's, what are people experiencing? You know, it's, it's interesting because now um, not only are we in a, a space to where athletes, athlete activism has been revitalized, right? Yeah. We are now seeing the athletes go from protest and not saying that the protests are necessary. They are. They, they are the catalyst to, to you know, right, right. social movements, but they are now calling for policy reform, you know? And so, for example, when uh, in 2016, when we saw the Colin Kaepernick initial sit yep. down, but then Neil, right. you know, we saw 
people from all over the globe joining in that movement. But it, it then shifted from just, again, looking at him taking that knee to athletes starting a coalition, right? The players coalition and calling the NFL to task as an organization to do their part in social justice movements. And so then we saw the NFL committing almost $100 million to social justice causes that were important to players um, at that particular time. Um, you, you know, you're seeing um, athletes who are going to their local municipalities and calling for prison reform. And, yeah. and um, they're also reaching out to uh, nonprofit leaders, uh, grassroots organizations, um, players are even just taking visits to um, certain areas uh, in our country that were riddled with racism and prejudice back in the day, just to try to get an understanding of the past so that they can move forward in the future. So we are seeing conversations now to where this sport justice movement is, again, taking the task, these organizations to do something. Don't just come out with this lip service and say, okay, right. we, we wanna fill this quota of diversity. Right, right. But we want to bring about sustainable change. And that is what we're seeing athletes do today. That's awesome. When, when athletes are right, going and speaking and saying like, here's changes we want to like all different people who are policymakers and organizations, mm -hmm. are they, what are, I guess like, what are the, um, I guess challenges are they facing? Are they being, like, what's their perception? Like, are they being received well? Are they receiving pushback? Like, what's that looking like? There's always this, this, this shut up and dribble you know, conversation, right? Um, actually, that was a title that I was initially wanting to go with uh, uh, with this book, but uh, I think we have a, a really good one here. Yeah. Um, but there's always been that connection, right? Because um, if you can take the, the title of uh, a person I know, Bill Roden, reporter, mm -hmm. he wrote a book called $40 Million Slaves. And so essentially it was a conversation he heard from a New York Knicks game where an, an athlete was um, saying something to some people in the, 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 in the audience. Right. And the person shouted back, you just need to shut up your $40 million slave anyway. Wow. So, you know, there's this, this stereotype, right? That athletes are not uh capable of being concerned about pressing social issues they haven't been educated on the proper policies that are need to be put in place and so there's that pushback right right but you have other platforms um such as the players tribune okay. uh, which is a platform where athletes essentially do their own reporting and tell their own stories Right, and, and they come out and talk about how um, they wrote letters to uh, the White House about making Juneteenth a holiday, right? Yeah. Um, uh, other factors such as pushing for the George Floyd Act, right. you know, uh, they have become educated through, again, other channels, whether it's their own research, whether they're meeting up with lawyers or, or social workers, 
or criminologists, you know, about okay. these issues, they they are learning, you know, and we have to commend them for taking time out, first of all, right. from their very busy schedules right. to, to even do this. But the great thing about it is we're seeing high profile athletes, LeBron yeah. James, Colin Kaepernick, uh, Renee Montgomery, and others who are stepping up and stepping, you know, towards that challenge now, instead of just seeing, you know, athletes who may not have had a, that type of platform before. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. How do you think um, people, so people that work, I don't know, kind of like within the organization, right? Not necessarily the athletes, but people, whatever different levels sure. within the organization that consider themselves allies, white allies for racial justice, for racial equity. How can they support this movement, support what these athletes are speaking on, amplify what they're saying, all of that? What is that? What more could they do? What are they doing? <laughs> you know, it's, it's um, we look at all of this, right? And it is something that we know in some cases it will take time. In some cases, there could be an easy shift if we would just, you know, not be afraid of the backlash that will, that will come out of the situation. But um, the listening ear is, mm -hmm. is the big thing. Listening for comprehension. Um, not listening to say, well, oh, okay, I, I, I heard you, but here's my point and here's right. my take on this, you know, um, you know, from an organizational perspective, um, I, I've, I've done some studies on yeah. how people of color, for example, when they go into a workspace, they have to negotiate their identity, mm -hmm. right? And so we, we all know that DEI is an important aspect of uh, the workplace. Um, it, but the thing is, what we found with a lot of our research, for example, is that the constant negotiating your identity causes this thing that we call an identity gap, meaning that you lost yourself and who you are, your understanding of you, just to be able to fit in, into this organization. Yeah. And so when you do that, you, you have an extreme level of exhaustion, right? Mm -hmm. And then that then turns into your intent to leave the workplace. So let's say you do leave the workplace and you try to find another space. Mm -hmm. You have to go through that same thing. And so it's, it's no longer a call per se to say that, okay, we need more of a diverse, equitable, belonging and inclusive platform in these spaces. Right. We now need to figure out how to retain, mm -hmm. you know, how to see these people as the individuals that, that they are right. and how that individuality can come into this workspace and be uh, used for the overall growth. You know, so it, it takes the listening, it takes the comprehension of who this person is, getting to know them, you know, yeah. um, understand, uh, helping them understand the space that that they can flourish in. You know, that that's much of the work within organizations that needs to happen now. Awesome. Thank you for that answer. Mm -hmm. um, does 
do these issues, do they look differently by sport? Or would you say that there's a patterns or general themes across, like it's similar or some sports different than others? You know, some sports are different than others. Um, you, in, in since 2020, when we had the, the, the big revitalization, um, nobody gives as much credit to the WNBA in its entirety, okay. uh, you know, that they should get. Um, primarily because, you know, we see the NBA and the WNBA uh, on two totally different ends of the, the spectrum in the sense right. of pay equity. Right. Okay. But uh, these women in the WNBA fought a lot. They, they, they protested, you know, of course, they had the Black Lives Matter movement all on their uh, basketball courts. Um, they fought year round, even when some of these athletes were, were, were getting paid $50,000, $60,000 a year. Yeah. to travel to as many games or close to as many games as WNBA players, you know, during their season. Mm -hmm. But they were the ones who talked about voting rights, right? In, uh, okay. in the state of Georgia, uh, educational rights. Um, you know, and the WNBA as a whole, mm -hmm. you know, grasped on to this need quickly. Whereas we saw the NFL sort of take its time, mm -hmm. you know, uh, many of the owners for the NFL are uh, older white men okay. who, in many cases, discouraged, you know, athletes from taking a knee. Right. Um, not to say that there were some people who were in the WNBA who were opposed to it, but for mm -hmm. the majority, uh, the WNBA had a really strong role. And, and where we're seeing that progress today. Wow, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I, I really appreciate you pointing that out because I think often the women's sports, like even here, like even just like when you think of it, I don't even think I, that didn't even come to my mind necessarily. I'm yeah. also not sporty, but like, I think <laughs> that's part of it. Like when you think, well, what's in the media the most, what do we often see? Yeah. It's And like, so thank you for, for pointing that out. Mm -hmm. um, so I know you mentioned also, so right, the people in leadership, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What do we want to see, whether the owners or people who have high up leadership, what, what change do we need to see from those people? What, from individual, not necessarily individually, but like with the power that they have, right? They have yeah. this power. Sure. What do we hope to see? What could they do differently? Acknowledgement is okay. the biggest thing that I think so far, you know, because when we see things perpetuated in the media 24-7, you know, right. it's, 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 a, it's a new story every day. You, you try to latch on to one story, another one comes out later that day. Uh, and so it's, it's hard to, of course, keep up with, with the things that are going on. But we do see a lot of issues that, of course, are we, are we further along as you could say, then where we were at the civil rights movement. Okay, you know, but then we do see a lot of instances where, you know, let's say for example, the, the Brett Favre uh, scenario in Mississippi, you know, stealing funds from welfare recipients, you know, that 
story is pretty much forgotten. And, and that was just really a couple of months ago, if that. And so, you know, you're talking about leadership with, you know, um, across these sport organizations. Yeah. Uh, taking the time, or they should take the time to acknowledge uh, these things that play these communities. You know, yeah. um, that would go a long way with building the conversation on how can we work to resolve things. Um, when we get to that point and acknowledge these things and not be afraid of the backlash that comes, mm -hmm. we can see some progress. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that right. Definitely, as that's such a big gap, that lack of acknowledgement. I think that goes back to what you were saying before about um, the listening and the comprehension piece, yeah. right? It's hard to acknowledge when if the listening isn't happening fully in a way, not, and the comprehension isn't happening where it's understand, understood in that right. way. Definitely. Um, oh, so I know you were, you had mentioned too before about social responsibility, mm -hmm. um, corporate social responsibility. Oh, so for those who may not be as familiar, what is corporate social, what is this corporate social responsibility and what does that look like in the work that you do? And sure. So corporate social responsibility is this, this terminology that's been around for mm, 60, 70 years. Um, and basically, it's saying that any type of corporation, you know, has a responsibility to be profitable. You know, no one's knocking a business to not make money. Okay. But um, there are changes in our society, um, whether it's uh, environmental sustainability, DEI, uh, human rights issues, um, trying to uh, eradicate poverty, build up communities, uh, all of these things um, to where these organizations not only have a responsibility to, to be profitable, mm -hmm. but they have a responsibility to society at large to make the world a better place. Right. Okay. And early on when this concept was created, you know, many scholars and other people were saying, well, there's no way an organization can be both profitable and for the people, you know, there, there's no such thing as that. <laughs> and so um, that, that concept has, you know, morphed over time to mean, you know, many different things all related, but this is why now you see, um, if you go to any organization's website, let's say Starbucks or something like right. that, um, you'll see the about us, the investor statement, and then you'll see a thing that says corporate social responsibility. Right. And it talks about how um, Starbucks has, um, you know, equitable, uh, not equitably, but in, uh, engaged in environmental sustainable right. efforts to get our beans and stuff like that. Right, right. And so that shifted into the sports world um, about 20 years ago. Okay. You know, it was it was broadly a business term. Uh, but then people began to recognize how, you know, hey, sport organizations are entrenched in local communities. Right. Okay. They're building stadiums. Um, so what will the building of these new stadiums do for those communities? Right. You know, the argument today, for example, we think about Los Angeles, uh, they just finished SoFi Stadium for the Los Angeles Rams and the Los Angeles Chargers two years ago. 
but the city of Inglewood really didn't want it to happen because they were worried about gentrification. Right. You know, um, they were worried about not being able to get jobs. And now in 2025, that's the goal, the Los Angeles Clippers are looking to build an arena in that same community. Oh, wow. Right? And so now we are asking these sport organizations, um, how could you be socially responsible to the communities that you're in? Um, if, you, if you're trying to build in these communities, well, how are you helping the children? Are you able to provide scholarships for the youth? Um, can you provide better paying jobs for the people in those communities? Um, can you build a stadium that is environmentally sustainable, that, that doesn't cause pollution or, or high traffic, um, which in LA, of course, is, you can't escape it. <laughs> but that's where corporate social responsibility began. Right. And that's how we see it in sports today. Wow. Yeah, that's really interesting because this idea, right, of the importance of having this lens to yes. be able to see the impact that it has and also the other set of like how much power to have a positive impact mm -hmm. they, they hold as well. Um, yeah. And thank you for those examples too, because I think it helps to just kind of see like, well, what does this actually look like in practice yeah. so many times, right? Yeah. Um, so the next question I, I was curious about um, how this, this work and sort of these major like professional athletes and the, mm -hmm. this their work and what how does it trickle down what does it mean for sort of like young like kids right like youth local youth sports leagues and all of that is there is there connections and how are, are those con like, and those conversations happening obviously I think like they should be but I don't know if, you know all of that piece of it yeah you know so it, it's 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 definitely happening and it's happening in, in different spaces. Right. Um, when you're talking about the youth, um, particularly when it comes to high contact sports like football, uh -huh. um, in some cases, um, soccer, you know, there are these conversations about preserving the, the, the health and, and the physical nature of uh, these, these youth relative to their bodies getting the um, you know, probably beat up on too early. Right. Um, you, you have these conversations where some professional athletes are saying they don't want their children to play football because of the concussion issue that the NFL mostly tried to hide for years. You know, even though there was evidence for a long time right. that this was causing a lot of mental and physical health issues for, you know, present and past athletes. And so um, you're also now seeing uh, the era where athletes are investing in schools and even creating schools um, themselves um, to where they are teaching and preaching education and pushing for them to receive scholarships and saying that, hey, yeah, sports is a great avenue, but you could do much more, you know, as well. Um, and that's translating well with a lot of the youth in our society right. today, because, you know, it's, it's, you know, yeah, celebrate your intelligence, you know, celebrate uh, the fact that you, you're curious and you're trying to build things in society, 
And again, you're you're seeing athletes also teaching youth about their rights. You know, whether it's you know dealing with um, the police or understanding their rights in education, understanding their their, their food rights. You know, man, all man. of these things um, have trickled down. And 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 one thing I would like to add to that too, um, with this, this great question, yeah, is that you know. Colin Kaepernick was, you know, basically lambasted for, you know, doing what he was doing, but nobody paid attention to the fact that he has a website where he showed all of the nonprofit organizations that he donated to in several cities that focused on the rights of youth, um, whether it's their health, their education, or their, you know, legal and civil rights. And so... Those conversations are happening. Uh, I think if we all could get past the argument of sport and politics should mix, you know, right, right. we can see these things that are happening. Right. And I think that goes back to what that what you were saying before of like bring, being able to bring their identity, people being able to bring their identities into these spaces and starting yes. with young with both kids learning what that looks like, both having their rights to be able to do that initially, right. but be like part of that. Um, yeah, I, is there, I, I don't like I don't know, training or like helping, are, is there things out there help? In addition, I know talk about some sort of some of that overlaps, but um, sure. for at different levels, I guess, of sports for people to like bringing their identity and sort of safeguards or like how to do it in a way that they're both, they're protecting themselves, but showing up or having those conversations or I, mean, I don't know. So for me coming with the background of doing a lot of identity work as a therapist and doing, working with people around DEI and how it shows up in their life. So I do a lot of identity work. So I'm just curious, like, are there initiatives or structures or what is missing? What could be added around bringing identity at different levels of sports? You know, it's, it, that's, that's interesting because in, in, I'm not gonna say regular workspaces, but for lack of better terms, you know, there we are. Um, there have always been these uh, trainings, like intergroup bias to um, communicating diversity. You know, and we see seeing this all over um, many organizations and them seeking, you know, such training. Sports, it's a little different. Um, sport organizations are. <laughs> just now recognizing that they have to do this because, you know, um, well, for example, there's this organization um, called WISE. It's the acronym for Women in Sport and Entertainment. They are the largest um, sport um, organization that helps women get into high profile positions uh, within sport organizations. So Mm -hmm. anyone who was seeking an internship all the way up to being the president and or CEO of a sport organization, you know, we see organizations like that, that are out there that are, that are pushing the narrative that women are actually great at leading male dominated (laughs) sports. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we're seeing those types of things, but the issue um, that we're having is that um, a, a lot of people are not sitting down and having honest assessments 
with these organizations. I know with the consulting work that I do, I do that. Yeah. Uh, I ask a lot of questions when I sit and talk with a sport organization about uh, the initiative that they're trying to push forward. And, and, and sometimes it can get to the point to where I don't know if they feel like I'm, I'm questioning what they're trying to do in a sense, but it's more so for me to get an understanding so I could put a needs assessment together, you know, right. and um, there are not a lot of people that are doing that. Um, yeah. But uh, the work that I do when it comes to that, um, again, I have to understand what it is that you're trying to put out there because we don't need you to engage in what we call in the industry sports washing, where you know you 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 build this entire campaign about all of the lovely DEI work that you're about to do, and you put it out there and it doesn't do anything, right? <laughs> you know, and. I take the approach of we have to understand every person who was involved in the campaign that you're trying to put out from the owner of the organization to the employees to the various stakeholders to the communities that you're about to serve. We have to gain that understanding uh, through, again, a needs assessment, through the research in order to then build out these programs. But the issue with sports is that they move fast and they want things out now and they want to push right. this narrative now, but sometimes <laughs> that doesn't work. Yeah, no, I, I think that's such an important piece to highlight, especially for listeners to hear right, how important like this needs assessment piece is. Like I know mm -hmm. I work with organizations as like cultural audits and things like that. And so the idea of like, if, if we don't talk about like where we are right now, we're not going to know where we want to go. And I think a lot of the, and I think from just from what you're saying, this idea of when we're trying to figure out where where are we right now, that it, there's a lot of feelings that often come up, which can make it a little complicated because it's like, well, we might be in a place that we wish we weren't. And when I, we can actually see it, right, going back to that listening piece that you were mentioning before, it right. can feel very uncomfortable when we're like, oh, I've been giving my whole life to this, or I've been working so hard and it's, I'm seeing something that feels bad yeah. in many ways. So yeah. it's awesome that you do that because it's like, and can show it and say like, here's where you are. And this is what I need to know everything in order we can move forward. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it's the need, right? And then, so for example, I, I've talked to several law enforcement agencies that try to use sports as a way to keep kids from getting into trouble. Yeah. You know, they want to expose them to things. Right. Um, but many of them don't have a measure of success, right? Well, how can you honestly say that this, this has worked? Well, we took them to the beach and so they've been exposed and, and that's our success. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's cool. I mean, don't get me wrong. That, right. That's a great thing. Right, right. But how can we know that this, this child who you may not even know their background or upbringing, how can this put them on that path to success? Of course, you're not going to be able to save everybody, but we need to know what's happening. And we need to know by individual communities, not just lumping them together. And so that's like, that's the approach that I take with uh, a lot of my work. I, I dig deep and I don't want it to be a one-off sort of, okay, we're going to do this. And no, we need to implement it. We need to evaluate it, we need to revise it, and we need to 
you know, come up with different things again. It's, it's, it's a process. So, yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. I think that that's so awesome. And I think that that's something that's so important for leaders to recognize is that it's a process. And if you want like for it to be done effectively, it needs to like, you need to go through all the steps and we can't just jump from zero and to finish right away. Like, so that part of it, that taking the time does matter and being able to measure it and see and make those goals really does, it does make a difference. So I, I appreciate you breaking that down for us. Thank yeah, you. No problem. Um, so what, and we're getting close to time, what advice, recommendations, suggestions do you have? I know you've shared some, so many already, but anything additional for, um, for people that want to, to support, you know, to, to move this work forward, whether they're part of organizations that do sports, whether they're not, or just in leadership positions, working with another, like another corporate something, but I feel like sometimes there's overlap, like different, right, that people are connected. Um, any, any advice or recommendations for individuals wanting to advance this work? So, yeah, sure. So, so yeah, uh, you know, I, I, no, no, you're fine. I, I, I take it back again to what we talked about earlier, listening, empathy, yes. you know, acknowledgement, right? Acknowledge, recognize the fact that these athletes are wanting to know how to best help our society. You know, uh, in my book, uh, I talk to not only um, professional athletes, but I've talked to uh, student athletes. You know, I've talked to nonprofit leaders who work with sport organizations, you know, really trying to gain an understanding of pretty much where do we go from here? And the, the, the holistic view um, from those interviews all pointed to the fact that uh, we need to stop looking at athletes as if they can't think, as if they yeah. can't, you know, uh, fathom a thought on how to best help our society. You know, we, we, we again, we hear the people that say, you know, shut up and dribble or just play sports. You know, these are the same people who are not politicians and are sitting at home you know, watching everybody else on television, you know, right. talk about politics. And so right. um, these athletes are, are in the limelight. Many of them are, are playing a sport that they've loved ever since they were a child. And now they're trying to be socially responsible. Okay, right. there's that word right. again. So acknowledge the fact that they're trying to learn. It's not going to be, it's not going to be some missteps because they're not perfect. Um, nobody is right. Right, nobody is right. <laughs> exactly, but 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 take heed of the fact that they're trying to do good, and um, they're going to continue to call out their particular leagues, um, you know, until we see uh, some progress. And so, this is not just a U.S. movement anymore; it's a global movement. Right. You know. Um, the, the whole Black Lives Matter movement, of course, started in the U.S., but it's it's global. It's global now, right? Okay. And and so recognizing that these athletes are, again, pushing the fact that sport and politics are here to stay, but also sport and policy reform, sport and conversations on policy change right. are also added to that feat. So as, as long as we can acknowledge that and and take the time to see where they're coming from and um, 
help them along that journey, I think we can see some progress. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been amazing you having you on today. Before no we finish, um, I'd love to know, if you, so feel free to share anything else you want listeners to know, as well as how listeners can connect with you and support your work. Sure. So, um, well, first of all, the, the my book, The Black Athlete Revolt, The Sport Justice Movement in the Age of Black Lives Matter is available for pre-order uh, wherever books are sold. So whether that's Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, it's, it's all out there. And if you would like to connect with me, I have my website. It is um, www.seanmarkanderson.com. And that's spelled S-H-A-U-N-M-A-R-Q-A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N.com. Awesome. And everything will be in the show notes. So everyone will have all the links. Thank you so, so much, Dr. Anderson. It has been awesome having this conversation with you. Thank you so much for the amazing work that you're doing. This has been awesome. Thank oh, you. thanks for having me. My pleasure. Hey, really quick before you go, just a reminder, we I am hosting a lunch and learn on February 15th on building and strengthening your DEI committee's impact. So if you are part of a DEI committee or you're part of an organization or company that has a DEI committee, has an ERG, and you're ready, you want to provide more support or help navigate that, come show up. We're going to be navigating, talking about all of the things, answering questions. Um, You can sign up in, you'll see the link in the show notes, and I hope to see you there and see you in the next episode.